In our industry, the greatest resource we have is our people. The men and women who have poured, served, seated, greeted, and worked tirelessly to help us thrive. Yelp for Restaurants would like to support you in recognizing their efforts by giving back to those who have given us so much. The surveys have returned for a second year. This first-of-its-kind set of awards celebrates our front-of-house workers. Winners receive a beautifully designed surveys trophy and a $3,000 tip. That's right, $3,000 in their pocket. Do you know someone deserving of a surveys award? Maybe they work at your restaurant. Visit theservies.com today and nominate them for a chance to win. Let's support the service industry together. Do so by nominating someone today. No purchase necessary must be 18 plus and a U.S. resident. Six nominated contest winners will receive a prize of $3,000. Nominations must be submitted between July 31st, 2023 and August 23rd, 2023. See the official rules available at theservies.com. Now here we go. When you're working with somebody, if they're not sharing the information, they're not somebody for you to be working with. You just graduated culinary school, probably not a master of all things back of the house. So get in and work with somebody who wants to share that information with you and literally write down everything. Write down all the recipes you're working on. Write down skills that you want to work on moving forward. Write down skills that you're seeing from other people that you want to learn. Welcome to Full Comp a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. We learn by doing, but we also learn by teaching. TV personality chef Brian Duffy is a successful restaurateur in his own right. After opening his own places, he became a household name as a featured expert on Bar Rescue, and then parlayed that fame into a successful consulting practice. We sat down today to discuss best practices and lessons learned from opening over a hundred different restaurant concepts over the last decade. In our conversation, we explored the key elements of a successful restaurant and the necessary ingredients to scale profitability. I still always go back to culinary school. I mean, that is literally where I started. Everybody wants to know like how I got the start, but it really kind of started in culinary school. It's one of those things that it is a degree that I use on a daily basis. So it's something that I use every day, whether it be knife skills or a technique or costing a recipe. Those are the things that really come back on a daily basis. From there, a couple little highlights. I immediately graduated and moved down to the Florida Keys where I was a sous chef where I learned everything not to do in a restaurant from a chef down there. He was very, very adamant in teaching me the horrible ways to do things, which I've taken year after year into what it is that I do now and make sure I don't do those things. And then from there, I think I've got a good seven years kind of stint of working in a couple of different restaurants, having some fun, learning things in every single place. And I was given advice When I was doing my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, as soon as you feel that you've stopped learning, get out, get out, take off. And it's still advice that I give people. I don't tell people every day to just jump up and leave a restaurant. But if you're asking questions and the chef is not giving you answers or the managers are not giving you answers, get out. Because at this point, you're young, you want to learn, you want to know how to do stuff, you want to grow your career. 
And if you're working for a chef who's not willing to share the proper way to do an inventory, then get out, quit. I don't even care if you give them two weeks notice at that point. Be realistic about it. Have a conversation. Let them know the reason why you're leaving is because you're not learning anything from them. That's an important thing. And that's something that I have taken with me across the board. And then a couple of other big things. I opened my first restaurant in 1998. That was a huge undertaking for me with a partner that I learned maybe I shouldn't go into business with partners, but I didn't learn too well because I've done it in the past. A couple of the big things, first time I was ever on TV was an NBC segment in Philadelphia, me and this random singer named Michael Buble, who kept hopping into my segments, but he was a really cool dude. And then I think Bar Rescue was a huge part because I really got to get into the inner workings of the industry Because although I could talk about it and play that part on TV, I really now was given a platform. So my shift kind of changed from being just a chef, which is kind of a weird statement to say, but being a chef who now had a platform and was now being called upon to educate people. So I think, honestly, that first season of Bar Rescue, where I met our dear friend Michael Tips and all that stuff really was just a pivotal point in my career. So career-wise, I think those are a couple of little ones that are really important to me. When you look at Bar Rescue, you see a lot of people have been on the show. And some people were able to parlay that into a successful culinary career or a consulting career. What was your strategy going into it and coming out of it? Because, I mean, you see a lot of people on TV do something with it and a lot of people that don't. Honestly, going into it, there really wasn't a strategy. It was something that had never been done before. Kudos to Spike TV for allowing that to happen. Kudos to Three Ball, the production company, for really kind of navigating that first three years And look, no matter what people say or what people think, I mean, honestly, kudos to Taffer for being a part of the show. I mean, I don't agree with everything that he says, and I know how the show came to fruition. It was passed up by many, many networks, and it finally got really picked up and launched through Spike. But I mean, more power to the guy. He created a voice for himself, and he took that voice and put it on an international level. I mean, it's a voice that is heard around the world. So more power to those guys. There was really no exit plan. Taffer was one of those guys who didn't really want anybody that had a bigger voice than him or want anybody that was a player on TV. So it was hard to play in that sandbox, very hard to play in that sandbox. And it was reiterated to me a couple of times that it was hard to play in that sandbox. But the relationships that I made, whether it be with people that were on the show, being fellow cast members, Tips is one of my best friends to this day, Nick Liberato. I mean, all these guys I've kind of grown up in the last 11 years with, 12 years with, and then the whole crew. It was really something pretty amazing. And again, that show gave me a platform to be able to open up my own consulting firm, to be able to do what it is that I do every day. Let's talk about consulting. I think that it's hard for people to wrap their minds around expertise because there's this flawed assumption that you need to be an expert at everything, that you need to know everything about everything, and then then you're an expert. Whereas you just have to know more or different than the person you're standing in front of. And so it may have been one thing to do it on TV, but when you decided to move into a consulting practice, 
what was your intention there? What did you want to achieve? And then what did you think you were best in the world at that you would be able to impart to others? For me, it was an opportunity, one, to step outside of the day-to-day operations of being in a kitchen. Actually, during this time frame, I was the corporate executive chef for a group of restaurants. We had 17 restaurants, I think, and I was the corporate exec for those guys. And I left the restaurant group to actually go and work into another field, which was development. I became the corporate executive chef for a company that made frozen seafood products for pretty much every major grocery store chain in the world. And my reason for doing that was to gain an insight into how it is to get a product from brain to shelf. And that's why I did that. And then after my year with that company, which was my goal to be with them for a year, I really started to dive into the consulting because Bar Rescue started to take off a lot. And then people started reaching out to me. Hey, would you help me develop a menu? Would you help me do this? So it got to a point that I became kind of the mom and pop consultant because although I do work on an NDA level with a lot of major restaurant groups and a lot of major brands, I work on a very close level with the mom and pop shops. I like restaurant groups that I like restaurants that have one that we can grow into multi, or I just had a great conversation with a gentleman today who has five Mexican spots in Northern California and central California that he really wants me to play with him and do that. So for me, it wasn't about being the best in the world. For me, it was about taking my knowledge of the style of food that I loved, which is the gastropub, the Irish pub, the Scottish, the English, the casual eatery, that sort of stuff that had a much higher interest in food than just your average bar that was serving chicken fingers and wings. So for me, it wasn't about being the best. It was sharing the knowledge that I had at that point with people that really genuinely needed the help. And even to this day, I still don't rate people when it comes to pricing. I charge a very fair rate for what it is that I do. And I'm pretty much available to my clients 24 hours a day, which shows at the 3 a.m. email that I got this morning. One of my clients' chefs quit. He quit because he needed an emotional break. Let's talk about mistakes along the way. If you were talking to somebody who just started out, just graduated culinary school, what mistakes would you tell them to avoid? I think some of the mistakes that I'm going to tell you right off the bat are exactly what I talked about in the beginning. When you're working with somebody, if they're not sharing the information, they're not somebody for you to be working with. You just graduated culinary school, probably not a master of all things back of the house. So get in and work with somebody who wants to share that information with you and literally write down everything, write down all the recipes you're working on, write down skills that you want to work on moving forward, write down skills that you're seeing from other people that you want to learn. I'm a huge believer in bettering ourselves across the board which is kind of why I think my consulting is a little bit different than other people because I bring a much more kind of customer focused attitude towards it. But in regards to a first time culinary person, you're not going to have a contract with the food network on day one. It's not going to be there for you. You're not going to be on TV. The chances of you getting your own TV show are slim and none. I mean, shit, it took me 13 years to get my own TV show. And then Food Network launched it during pandemic. So one, ask questions. If you're not learning, get out. Two, you're not going to have a Food Network TV show right off the bat. Three, 
really gain insight into the other avenues of what are in this business. I mean, there's so many different opportunities from working as a corporate executive chef for Miller Coors, where you can create recipe using beer, to hopping into a nursing home or assisted living or something like that and learning all about nutritional and dietary. There's a lot of opportunities in this industry, so don't ever just close your mind down to believing that you belong on saute, grill, fry, or prep, whatever it is. So that's my advice. Let's talk about menu development. So many chefs that I know are trying to tell a story more than they are build a profitable business. There's so much passion into what we do in the restaurant industry that it's really easy to get lost in that. and forget about the brass tacks of running a business, creating a profitable business model that is repeatable, consistency over innovation. And I'm wondering, how do you approach menu development when you start working with a brand? And what factors do you consider? So there's a couple of things that I do when I work with a client initially, just right off the bat. I want to know what your concept is. Be able to tell me in a very concise manner what your concept is. When you start talking about, well, you know, I really want to have a place that focuses on sports during the day and a nightclub at night with a country music atmosphere that has a fine dining sushi approach to it while serving the greatest meatballs that are ever made. We're not going to work together. It's just that simple. I have ADD. I'm no stranger to hopping conversation to conversation, creativity to creativity. But I really want to have an owner who has a direct idea of what it is that they want to do. So my initial stages of menu development start with concept. What is your concept? And then from there, I'll kind of build that out. Then one of the things that I like to do when I get my first round of menu done is I ask my clients, do you have any items that you really want to see on a menu? Because you're the owner of the restaurant. So if you're the owner of the restaurant and you tell me that you absolutely have to see this amazing fresh tomato that I grabbed from my garden today, then you know what? I want you to tell me about that so that I can incorporate that into the menu. Because if I don't do that for my clients and I don't work closely with the owners, then what happens is the owners have a menu that they love, but they don't really eat much on it because there's not a lot of their favorite items. I would rather be able to create a menu that matches concept, that also matches an owner's vision very, very closely. And then once I get into that, then I ask the next question, what is the price point that you want to hit? Because that now is going to determine what it is that I'm going to do with my recipes. If you want to have a $7 appetizer point across the board, we're going to have a long conversation about that because the average appetizer in the country right now is running 12 to $13. So What are you doing or what are you saying that you're going to do that is having the ability to charge 50% less than what the national average is? So for me, that's really where that whole thing starts. And then my brain starts to really kind of coddle the ingredients, the dishes, the concept all into one so that I can make it work from the techniques based off of what you have in your kitchen staff. If you're running with a kitchen manager or if you're running with a chef-driven menu, are you working off of a U.S. food or a Cisco menu that you really don't have the prep staff to be able to come in and make your own chicken tenders or be able to make your own mashed potatoes or be able to make your own green beans? These are things that I need to know right off the bat. And then I turn it all into a profitable way to do it. Now, what are the typical issues you see when you look at a menu? 
Like I can glance at a menu at this stage in the game and I can pick it apart because I'm looking for very specific things, right? Is it a compass or is it a roadmap? How do people know exactly what to get? What are you actually trying to sell? And then how are you able to establish more value or more perceived value for your products through the way items are presented on the menu? That's kind of me at a glance looking at people's menus. What are you looking for? And what are the biggest mistakes you see when you look at the physical presentation on a menu? One, I love that you said kind of the perception or what you're perceiving of that menu, because I believe in a perception of value. People don't want to go and sit down and have this piece of candy put on a plate and somebody charging them $12 for it. There's no perception of value for this. But if I'm able to offer this with this and add in this to a component to it and turn it into a complex dish, that's a whole different story. So for me, the big thing that I see when I look at these menus and stuff that I look for are really very direct things that a consumer would notice. So I look at one spelling errors. That's an automatic for me. If you can't spell your menu properly, then you should not be serving that food is how I look at that. The other part of it is the size or the sheer girth of the menu itself. How many items are on there? If you're running a 60 seat restaurant and you've got 75 items on your menu, my motto is very simple. I'd rather sell 25 items and execute them at the highest possible level than have a menu that I suck at 50% of the time. So I really look at the volume, how many items they have on there. I look at the creativity in the way that it's matched up. I look for cross utilization of items. I've got fresh tomatoes over here. Well, I don't use my ends on my tomatoes. So now what am I going to do with those ends? Am I making a bruschetta? Am I making a salsa? Am I making a pico de gallo? Am I cooking them down in something else? These are things that I really try to look for. The other stuff is concise descriptions. We are not in the 1980s anymore where we have this wonderful, gently poached, farm-raised, cold water Alaskan salmon that has been slightly or lightly gently poached and served atop. Get out of here, man. In reality, my menu descriptions are very simple. I like a name of a dish. I like to know what the initial method is of cooking. And then I typically like to find out what a couple of those ingredients are. So if we're going to do a pasta with tomato basil and finish it off with a fried egg, then I'm going to do Brian Duffy's pasta, whatever the name of that dish is going to be called. And then I'm going to start in with that next one, which is house-made pappardelle. Okay. Tossed with garden fresh tomatoes, fresh basil, added with the addition of, an, of a fried egg, seasoned with blah, blah, blah. Keep your descriptions much lighter and faster because we're in a much harder time in restaurants right now. I'm not serving $30 burgers, so I've got to be concise with my description so that my guests can read it faster, they can order quicker, they can eat it, and then they can get out. No offense, but this is show business, not show friends. So I want people to get out as fast as possible. I love you, and I want to hang out with you and thank you and show you proper hospitality but I don't have a three-hour dining room for a two-top, okay? I've got to roll those tables over. So for me, those are really the big things, spelling errors, concept, concise descriptions, and then utilization of product. But also within that, I want to see creativity. I do a live menu read in Vegas every single year. This year, I read 30 menus in three hours. 75% of those menus have the same items on them. 
the same items. And the reason for that is because we as a nation are now looking at our trends through here. So we're seeing the same trends happening over and over again, whether it be a TikTok trend with feta and cherry tomatoes, or whether it be a new way to grill something or how to smoke it or braise it, fry it, whatever it is. But we're all looking at the same exact items. Then you look at our food service purveyors, U.S. Food, Cisco, PFG, GFS, the major players in the country. They are dictating what it is that we put on our menus. And the reason why they're doing that is because they're saying, "Okay, this right here is an item that we want to work on and we want to get rid of. So we're going to put it into our catalog that we're going to show the nation what this item is, how it looks like, what our code is, the whole nine yards. So when you walk around and you see everybody serving the same dish, that's because our food service purveyors are telling us what to do with that. I work very closely with two of the major food service companies in the country and a really kind of funny prime example. I did an event in Spokane, Washington last weekend. When I was developing my menu, I always incorporate some form of the East Coast into my food. And for the East Coast, the big thing is the sausage, egg, and cheese. A breakfast sandwich is a massive East Coast thing. And I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to do something local. So my purveyor said to me, hey, bro, I've got a great sausage company out of Idaho. And we were in Washington State, right on the border of Idaho and Washington. We've got a great sausage purveyor right there. And I have this really cool bread that is black. It's made with activated charcoal. And oddly enough, we were doing a Harley Davidson event, a charity ride for Harley. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what I'm looking for. But I never would have seen that black bread. I never would have heard of that pork sausage if it weren't for my rep. So our reps have to get out from behind their computers and they've got to start looking at products. They've got to start looking at new items because guess what? Sales for these, a lot of these companies are kind of flatlining because they're all selling the same shit over and over again. We need to get our reps to start upselling like we want our servers to do by showcasing new products to us. By the way, that sausage was out of this world. The eggs still had hay on them because I told them I didn't want to buy a commodity-based egg that tasted like crap and had a really pale yellow yolk to it. So they actually went out and sought out farm fresh eggs for me from a local farmer, fresh pork that came in from a guy in Idaho, or bread that came in from a harvest company out of Montana. So it was like my conversation with a rep led to new knowledge for me and me being able to give a much better product out to my clients or to the people that were eating breakfast for me. So I hope that was a really long answer to a very simple question. It was. It was fabulous. I'm curious to know your thoughts on pricing. I mean, I've worked with hundreds of clients at this point, and I have yet to work with one that I didn't find to be underpriced for the market. I mean, is that what you see as well? Yeah. I mean, I think people are afraid to charge accordingly. I mean, let's bring it right back to eggs. Let's just talk about eggs. I can buy a 15 dozen case of commodity-based eggs for $28.79 a case right now. Or I can buy a case of beautiful farm fresh eggs for $36.50 for the same 15 dozen. So when you break that down, 15 dozen eggs divided by 36 I mean, whatever that dollar price point hits, what am I charging? An additional eight to 10 cents an egg? The average omelet has three eggs in it. So I'm adding 30 cents onto it. If you're adding 30 cents onto it, you're adding how much more 
onto your menu for an omelet? Are you really going to go from 11 to 12 and your guests are going to freak out, especially in this day and age where we're seeing higher price points than we ever have on every single item across the board? Every single item from ground beef to pork to turkey to fish to shrimp and shellfish, we're seeing higher price points across the board. You have to take price. You have to make your updates on your menu. There's an old saying that I've said for years that if you're just a chef who creates to create, then you're going to be a great chef without a kitchen in six months. But if you're a chef who creates to create while having a budget in mind and being a financially stable chef within a kitchen, then you're going to be very, very successful. There's too many restaurant owners and too many chefs out there who just don't understand how to cost out a recipe. So for me, I show my clients right off the bat. I ask them, what is your price point? What do you guys want to hit on here? What is the basic price? If it's a casual place, how much do you want to charge for a burger? Do you want to charge a $9 burger? Do you want to charge a $13 burger? Because guess what? Ground beef right now is $3.89 for a basic fine grind of 80-20 ground beef. $3.80 a pound. You're serving, if you're just doing an eight ounce burger, which I don't know who the hell's doing eight ounce burgers anymore, but if you're doing an eight ounce burger, you're looking at the fact that you're now charging $1.70 to $1.80 just for the beef. The bun that used to be 42 cents is now 65. The lettuce that used to be a dollar a head is now 225. The tomatoes that we're buying. So we're looking at these products. You have to be able to update your menu and your pricing. So when a client says to me, I want to charge $9 for a burger, then I now have to break that down for them and say, here's your profit point on this burger. This is where you're going to be. Okay. Which could lead you into a 40% food cost or Now we have to buy really crappy food to put on that menu to hit that price point, which is not something that I dive into. I stay as far away from that as possible. And I'll tell you this real quick. With the amount of restaurants that I've opened, which is 109 at this point, I'm about to open 110. With the amount of chefs that I've dealt with, every time that a chef walks through, I'm going to say 90%, walks into a restaurant the first thing that they want to do is lower food cost. So what they do is they look at the eggs and they say, well, this is $36. I can get them for 28, but we never account for apples to apples. We have to do apples to apples on these items. I am charging $13 for an omelet because of the fact that I'm using the best possible ingredients that I can get. I'm not buying for price. I'm buying for quality and your guests will appreciate that you're selling that food at a proper price because you're serving a much higher quality product. Talk to me about marketing. You seem to have a firm understanding on the value of personal branding, also how to reach your target audience, which for you has certainly evolved over the years. What's your perspective on marketing? What's a chef's role in that? And then from an entrepreneurial perspective, how do you get the attention of the people you're trying to talk to? One, When you're a chef inside of a restaurant, your personal brand doesn't have as much to gain, okay? You want to be a contributor to the restaurant's marketing plan. So when I build a dish and I post that dish, that dish should be posted on your business's Instagram first with you tagged in that item. If you have enough time to take pictures of your food while you're cooking it, you have enough time to take pictures of the features that you're going to run for that week so that you can give that to the marketing department so that they can market those items in the proper way. I see too many people in too many restaurants that are selling. Everybody wants to sell something on Instagram. 
Everybody wants to sell something on Facebook. They want to sell on Twitter. They want to sell on Thread or whatever it is. Everybody wants to sell something. There's not nearly enough engagement that is happening with people where talk to me about your staff. Talk to me about the building. Tell me about the owners. Tell me about your delivery program and how it varies from other people. Tell me something other than the fact that I'm selling 250 bud bottles today. Okay. We really have to get out of the idea that unfortunately I have a partner who doesn't quite grasp the concept of Instagram. He doesn't get it. He says, we don't have a lot of following. We don't really get following back. And my very simple statement back is, well, the content that we're putting up sucks. It's just crappy content. Now, I'm embarrassed to say that because I'm a partner in this project, but I'm not involved in the day-to-day until I get down into the restaurant. I then take amazing pictures. I show them. We put them in a Dropbox. Our marketing company is able to dig into those. Prime example for Mother's Day, we have in the restaurant an amazing woman who is of Mexican descent. Two of her kids work in the restaurant. Her husband is the chef at two of the other places down the street. But our marketing company, without even discussing with us, posted a picture of an Asian woman with two kids sitting next to her. And that was the Mother's Day post. We didn't even reach within ourselves to our staff and put a focus on this unbelievable mother who's raised two kids inside of a restaurant. Get it more personal. Bring it back into yourselves. I love to do things like staff of the day. This is our staff of the day. This is Emily, my daughter, who works with me on different projects. I love to focus on her. I love to see her face on an Instagram page of where she works so that people get to know her. Come in and say hi to Em. She's four foot 11. She can't reach the top bottles behind the bar, but she's going to make you a hell of a great drink. These are the things that I really like to see. For me, on my personal brand, it all comes down to engagement engagement and content. The algorithm on a personal brand like I have for my own is so different than a business profile. It is so different based off my engagement. My engagement rate was about a 1% about six months ago. It's now a 3%, okay? Which 3% is enormous. But that also means that I have to spend five hours a day almost focusing on Instagram. So Hire the right people, put them into place, give them the same idea that you have. For me, with my social media person who also happens to be my assistant, I always tell her, go as far as you can until I tell you you have to stop. Push the envelope, get a set of balls and do something. And it's funny, they posted something. I had a restaurant called Sidebird Kitchen and our marketing company one day did Do you know that sidebird is the only word that starts with S and ends with D? Prove us wrong. It sounds like such a stupid little post, but people replied back like, well, that's stupid. Or the hundreds of words that started with S and ended with D was just an amazing post. It engaged people. We communicated back. Whoever came up with the best word got a $50 gift certificate. We really wanted to play and engage with our guests. And that is something that most people don't do. They think, I'm going to post a picture of this week's feature right here. Why is nobody showing up to get it? Why do I only have 12 likes? Engage, communicate, and have fun with your guests. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I think we have to create a world where working in the restaurant industry has pride again. 
I don't think we have a lot of pride in it anymore. I think that the pandemic raised way too many red flags. When you're a server and you're not declaring all of your tips and it shows that you're only making $26,000 a year and then the pandemic shuts the world down and you've now got to file for unemployment and you're only bringing in $135 a week or whatever that number is. We have to start paying better wages. We have to start creating schedules that are more realistic for our staff. My daughter was scheduled four shifts a couple of weeks ago as a bartender, and they called her out for three of the four shifts. So she's going to cut down 75% of her salary for the week of what she had originally anticipated on making because it's raining. And I understand this as an owner, as an operator, I truly understand it, but we need to schedule better. We have to schedule further out. I see too many restaurants that are posting schedules Sunday night for Monday morning. I'm not your slave. I want a world. In my kitchens, I don't like the same people to close every Friday and Saturday night. Josh, I'd like you to close on Friday and you leave at eight o'clock on Saturday night. That way, you know that you're not closing down every weekend night and you can go with your partner or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is, and you can make plans with that person. Think about the relationships that we've had all through the years of being in this industry. My girlfriend worked as a bartender. She got off at three o'clock in the morning. So my relationship with her was from 3 a.m. until 7 or 8 a.m. Because I had to go to work the next morning, which was as a chef, working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. But we've really got to treat our employees much better. We need a higher pay rate. We need to create a world where people have 401ks and they've got retirement plans or that we're teaching them how to get to those points. Because as a young chef, somebody started working in restaurants when I was 14 years old. Nobody ever talked to me about that stuff. Nobody ever told me that I was not going to have health insurance unless I worked for a corporation. Nobody ever told me that I needed to put money into a 401k or an IRA during that time frame. My parents did, but we never listened to our parents. I mean, let's be real. But we need to open up programs like that. And actually, I have a program that's going live in a couple of weeks that's called Chef Block, which is it's like a LinkedIn for the culinary world where we're working off of mentorship, education and validation because I'm tired of interviewing people who lie on their resumes. When I am interviewing an executive chef and my first question is, chef, let's talk about the volume of your last location. And they give me, eh, we did two to 300 covers a night where I say, okay, what kind of volume does that bring in on a financial level? And their response to me is the owners never shared any of the finances with me. Well, you're no longer an executive chef. Now you're a head chef that's running a kitchen through ordering and labor scheduling, but you don't understand food costs. You don't understand inventory. You don't understand why we're in the restaurant business, not the restaurant giveaway program. So I have to change that. So we're working off of a validation program. Plus, we're going to be doing a lot of really, really cool stuff with education. We've got chefs from all over the world who are dying to mentor young chefs. So imagine, Josh, that you wanted to learn Israeli food. And I've got three Michelin star chefs in Israel right now, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and Jerusalem, that are ready for you. One of them runs three of the largest hotels in Tel Aviv. And these are people that are ready to do that because... As young chefs, and I remember from doing research on a project years ago that I reached out to chefs through the ways that I thought I knew, which was Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or emailing or something like that. And we don't reply to those things. 
But if I'm on a platform that I'm putting myself down as a mentor, now I'm ready to accept that conversation. I'm ready to talk to you, to give information up. Right now for me, anybody who's on LinkedIn, I have a link on there. If you want to talk to me, we got 15 minutes. I schedule three hours a week just to talk to people, whatever it is, because I can learn from you. You might learn from me, or we may create an amazing friendship to move forward in life. So I never close doors in that way. But yeah, we got to make a lot of changes still. Our industry suffers from razor thin margins. And the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data driven decisions. The numbers don't lie. And Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And when restaurants pair that level of visibility with Guest Manager and Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Chef Brian Duffy. For more information on the chef, visit chefbrianduffy.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.